Good morning. Well, welcome to you all on this beautiful Lord's Day. We thank you for all coming. Um, those that are here for the first time, we welcome you. Um, and we pray that you will be blessed by our service time and challenged by the Word of God. And if you didn't get a uh, welcome gift, one of the ushers will get that to you. Um, there's some good stuff in there, especially the cookies are really, really good. Um, I do have a special announcement from Gail Green. She gave me a specific thing to say here, so I'm going to read it. So ladies, the books for the March Book Club, Love Amid the Ashes, are available for checkout from Amy Wolf or Gail Green. This is the first come, first serve situation. There are a limited number of books, so get to her really quickly. You will also receive a copy of the discussion questions as well as a copy of the Bible study based on the book. If all books are checked out, there will be a waiting list. As books are returned, you will be notified when they are available. So get with Gail or Amy for that. Um, as you can see, we've got communion today. So start preparing your hearts and minds for that. And we have a rather busy week towards the end of the week um, as we've got Aaron Smith coming to visit us for uh, nearly a full week. Um, they'll be driving on Wednesday. And uh, there are three homes that they are going to visit with. And there are sign-up sheets in the back corner there. So it's uh, our house on Thursday. It's kind of light, so I guess we'll get him all to ourselves. So if there's any other families that want to sign up, um, there's a lot of room available at our house on Thursday night. And then there's Friday and Saturday night um, for that, and those look to be fairly populated. Um, and then we have them on Sunday. He'll be teaching, and then during the Sunday school hour, he will have a time uh, where they will, he and his wife will share their testimonies, and then there will be the question and answer time. Uh, during Sunday school and then we'll have most of the uh, children up from downstairs so that uh, they can learn and uh, and uh, get to know um, the Smith family and we hope that this will be a blessing and encouragement to all of us as we prepare for this change and uh, and then the following week um, is the actual vote for Aaron Smith so I want you to be prayerfully considering this uh, situation with the Smith family. So, Kurt? I want to reiterate, if you can be at one of the small groups with uh, the Smiths, please do so. You're going to want to uh, get to know them better. And this is a great opportunity to... Um, before the pastor even uh, comes to preach, you can get to know him and his wife better. A um, couple of things here. One, um, I have thought a lot about the remaining months that I have with you. I mean, I've only, we only have basically March, April, May, and June. So four months left before uh, we transition into missions. And I've plotted out 2 Corinthians, the book, and I just know that I cannot finish the whole thing. There's no way. Even if I were to do it in a cursory fashion, I can't get through the rest of it. So for uh, more than a month now, I've been plot, you know, thinking, okay, 
what book, shorter book, should I preach that I can start and the Lord willing finish before I leave? And what I've landed upon is the book of 1 Thessalonians. So um, not this week because we are celebrating the Lord's table and not next week because Pastor Aaron will be here. But the week after that, then, I will be uh, starting a series, hopefully, that we can finish uh, before we leave uh, through the book of 1 Thessalonians. So if you want to read that ahead of time, maybe read it through once or twice, familiarize yourself with it. Uh, it'll help you to process what we are going through. A couple of prayer requests, and then uh, the rest of the service, we're going to be focusing on our Lord Jesus. I mean, this is uh, our... Um, Lord's Table Day, and he is going to be the uh, center of what we'll do today. But let me, before we uh, pray, mention Dennis and Jim. So uh, Dennis, <sighs> very heavy news. I think most of us know this already, but um, he had cancer, went through chemo, he was in remission, zero sign of cancer. He then got, had the fever. He had to go back uh, down to the cancer center, which is a part of the hospital system um, of Freighter in Milwaukee. And uh, they got the temperature under control, 103. Every day he was, he was hitting 103, and they got that down to normal. But there still wasn't something quite right. So they did a biopsy on lymph nodes, and here's what they determined that he now has peripheral T-cell lymphoma in his lymph nodes. We have, they have not yet heard back from the specialists what this means. Can it be treated? Is, he, is his body strong enough to handle additional treatment? They're, they're open questions. But this week he was back in the hospital because of high fever again, that's under control, and they came back home yesterday. But I just, I just need to reiterate, we really need to be praying for Brother Dennis. Uh, Jill is a, a, an amazing sister in Christ. The strength uh, spiritually that she has uh, built up, I mean, she may... Like, you know, my wife be a, a small woman, but I mean, she, she's got spiritual muscles like that. And she's been uh, through so much and serving so many people. So pray for them. Um, I also want to mention Jim Westfall. I think we all know him. Maybe you've not talked with him much, but uh, Jim's kind of newer to our church. He was invited to our church by the Popes, Jim and Kathy Pope, and uh, he's now been coming for some months. He's made a profession of faith not that long ago. Uh, he's the one who wears the helmet. That area on his head that needs reconstructive surgery uh, had a very serious infection. So he is now in the hospital. Um, he had emergency surgery to deal with the infection, but he's, he needs to get the reconstructive surgery. Pray for him. He's, uh, he's been struggling with assurance of salvation, so pray for that, and um, just pray for his physical recovery. Let's focus on these two requests and, of course, on our Lord Jesus. This morning, we come as a congregation 
to our creator, sustainer, planner, sovereign, savior God. We focus our attention upon the throne knowing that in matter of a couple dozen minutes we will be considering the lamb the image in the book of revelation that by far is the dominant means of communicating who the son our lord jesus is and what he has done for us father we thank you for the lamb Jesus, we thank you for being the lamb. As we unfold what that actually means, may our hearts be drawn to you. May our souls experience worship, wonderful worship afresh. We do not take your table lightly. It is a special day. And so, Lord, as we consider what you gave up for us, what you took on for us, and what you endured for us, we, we return those magnificent loving deeds with a heart that is packed full of praise. Before we continue in worship and sing together, we wish to remember our uh, brother Dennis. Dennis Jill have been part of our church for so long. Dennis has been uh, a teacher for ABF and Jill with the wee ones for <laughs> decade upon decade. He's recently retired as a senior scientist to really just in time to be diagnosed with cancer and now uh, on uh, either on his deathbed or at least near to it. That doesn't mean he's going to die though, Lord. We don't know what your will is. We have prayed that you would raise him up. And we continue to do so. Your will be done, Father. We, we acquiesce to that. But we, at the same time, do not want him taken from us yet. So we pray that you will restore him to health, that you will raise him up, that the lymphoma can be treated, or that you will just miraculously remove it. We know you can. And so, Lord, whatever the, the case may be, we pray for him, his soul, for Jill, for uh, their family, the sons and daughters and grandchildren. Lord, there are so many, uh, in addition to all of their friends and especially our church. So, Lord, just care for uh, this, this whole family. Give grace to all. We pray for Jim Westfall, a newer person to our church but a person that we love. Uh, 
someone who has recently had a setback with the wound on his head, we pray that that uh, surgery will have the desired effect, that all the, the infection will be removed. And Lord, we pray that the reconstructive surgery can happen uh, very quickly. Uh, so bring him back to us. And Lord, we pray for the assurance that sometimes he lacks, he struggles with as a new believer, that you will uh, provide that for him in time. Help him to be convinced that not only that you love him, but that he knows you. So Lord, bless our time together. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Good morning. morning. Wanting to give a challenge here before we start our worship today. Uh, Wanting to ask a question of how serious and significant was your sin before, before God. Before you came into a relationship with the Lord, did you seriously have a knowledge in your heart that you had done things that were deserving of death. I say that because the songs we've, that I've chosen today address this very issue. This first song is written by a man that we all know by the name of John Newton. He wrote the most famous of all hymns, Amazing Grace. Do you remember in that song, Amazing Grace, that he, he uses the phrase, a wretch like me? Do you know why he said that word, wretch? because he truly had messed up so much of his life. He had sinned in ways that most of you would not know. Most of us know John Newton's life, that he was the captain of a slave ship. We know that, right? But did you know how much more he messed his life up? After his father had, had uh, retired, he was following the example of his father to be a, a Captain, captain of a slave ship. Well, after his father uh, retired, he volunteered to join the Royal Navy. And as he volunteered, he found great discouragement, so much so that he had the desire to murder the captain of the Royal Navy ship and then commit suicide. He gets reassigned to another ship where the people on the ship totally did not want him on that ship, and they did not like him at all, and they dropped him off in West Africa, where he then got into the custody of another slave owner. So it all reversed. The captain of a slave ship is now a slave himself, you see. The Lord humbled him greatly because of his sin. He spent nearly three years as a slave himself, until he was rescued by one, one of his father's friends who found him. And then he was then on the ship to leave and came into a horrible, horrible storm where the Lord brought him to the bottom of, of, of where he began to save him, where he realized that the Lord needed to have mercy on him. And he said those words, the Lord will have mercy on us. But it surprised him that he used that word mercy because he didn't deserve it. 
And so as we worship today, I pray and hope that you have a right perspective about your sin. We're going to celebrate communion today. And I really pray that you understand the seriousness of our sin, of what we've done before the Lord. The Apostle Paul considered himself the chief of sinners. That's a healthy way for us to look at ourselves, Because really, truly none of us are righteous, not one of us. And we all deserve the grace that's found in our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's stand and worship our Lord for what he's done. I ask the Lord that I might grow in faith and love and every grace might more of his salvation know and seek more earnestly his face. T'was he who taught us to pray, and he I trust has answered prayer, but it has been in such a way as almost drove me to despair. I hope that in some favored Answer my request, and by his love's constraining power, subdue my sins and give me rest. Instead of this, he made me feel the hidden evils of my Salt my soul in every part. Yea, more with his own hand he seemed intent to aggravate my woe. Crossed all the fair designs I schemed, humbled my heart. Laid me low, Lord. Why is this? I trembling cry. Wilt thou pursue thy worm to death? Tis in this way the Lord replied. I answered prayer for grace and faith. These in trials from self and pride to set thee free and break thy schemes of earthly joy that thou mayst find thy all in me boy interesting words
This next song is a song that addresses six separate problems that we'll face. One of them is called being chased by fear, being torn by grief, being worn by life, being vexed by hell, meaning being tormented or troubled or worried about hell, to be stalked by sin or to be plagued by shame. These are things that every one of us face in our life. And this is a great song. Run to Christ this morning as, we, as it shows how the Lord deals with all these problems of life. So let's sing, I Run to Christ. I run to Christ when chased by fear and find a refuge. Believe in me, his voice I hear, his words and wounds secure. I run to Christ when torn by grief and find abundant peace. I too had tears, he gently speaks this joy and sorrow Christ, when worn by life, and find my soul refreshed. Come unto me, he calls through strife, fatigue is ready to rest. I run to Christ when that's my hell, and find a mighty Scriptures tell he roars but cannot harm. I run to Christ when stalked by sin and find a sure escape. Deliver me, I cry to him. Temptation yields to grace. I run to Christ. When plagued by shame and find my wounded I bore God's wrath, he pleads my case, my advocate and friend. Well, I pray this morning that all of you have that view in your mind that you really are the chief of sinners. I do pray that this attitude is the attitude that you have of how you have fallen short, but our gracious God has given mercy to us. So let's sing, I am thine, O Lord. Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. 
Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Consecrate me now to thy service, Lord, by the power of divine. Let my soul look up with a steadfast love, and my will be lost in thine. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. Oh, the pure delight of a single hour When I kneel in prayer with the naked God, I commune as friend with friend. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to the cross where Thou hast died. Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord, to Thy precious bleeding side. There are depths of love that I cannot know Till I cross the narrow sea There are heights of joy that I may not reach Till I rest in peace with Thee Draw me nearer, 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 blessed Lord To the cross where Thou hast died Draw me nearer, nearer Nearer, blessed Lord, to thy precious bleeding side. You may be seated. Lord, I, I come to you this morning knowing that I am the chief of sinners. I pray that all of, all of those here will see how far they have fallen and how much we need to draw near to you, Lord how much we need your precious blood that you have shed for us. Help us, Lord, to see the place that we are lost without hope, that we could not be good enough, that we could not earn your salvation, Lord, that you've provided that for us through the sending of your Son, willingly to the cross for our sin. I pray as we give back to you, Lord, that we remember all that you've done for us and all the grace that you've applied to our souls. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Today's scripture reading is from Acts chapter 5, verses 17 through the end of the chapter. Please rise for the reading of God's word. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is, the party of the Sadducees, and filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. But during the night, an angel of the Lord opened the prison doors and brought them out, and said, Go and stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of the life. And when they heard this, they entered the temple at daybreak and began to teach. Now when the high priest came, those who were with him, they called together the council, all the senate of the people of Israel, and sent to the prison to have them brought. But when the officers came, they did not find them in the prison, so they returned and reported, We found the prison securely locked and the guards standing at the doors. But when we opened them, we found no one inside. Now when the captain of the temple and the chief of priests heard these words, they were greatly perplexed about them, wondering what this would come to. And someone came to and told them, Look, the men whom you put in prison are standing in the temple and teaching the people. Then the captain with the officers went and brought them, but not by force, for they were afraid of being stoned by the people. And when they had brought them, they set them before the council. And the high priest questioned them, saying, We strictly charged you not to teach in this name, yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God rather than men. The God of our fathers raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree. God exalted him at his right hand as leader and savior, to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit, whom the God has given to those who obey him. And when they heard this, they were enraged and wanted to kill them. But a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people, stood up and gave orders to put the men outside for a little while. And he said to them, Men of Israel, take care what you are about to do with these men. For before these days, Thaddeus rose up, claiming to be somebody, and a number of men, about 400, joined him. He was killed, and all who were following him dispersed and came to nothing. After him, Judas the Galilean rose up in the days of the census and drew away some of the people after him. He too perished, and all who followed him were scattered. So in this present case, I tell you, keep away from these men and let them alone. For if this plan or if this undertaking is of man, it will fail. But if it is, but if it is of God, you will not be able to overthrow them. You might even be found opposing God. So they took his advice, and when they had called in the apostles, they beat them and charged them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. Then they left the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and preaching that the, that the Christ is Jesus. And so as we close worship today, I have a question. If there is even one person here uh, who simply does not know where they would spend eternity after they were to take their very last breath, the question I'm going to challenge all of us with to consider is how much farther do we have to fall before we truly are discouraged and disgraced by our sin? When the offer of mercy is right there before us, this final song is called I Plead for Grace. This is the most important decision that all of us have to make in our life of 
Will we reject Christ or will we receive him? And so let's, let's plead for grace today because we are all deserving of condemnation for our decisions and our thoughts. But so praise God for what he has done by giving us this grace. And I pray if, if you do not know the peace that passes all understanding that this song will minister to your soul and that today will be the day that, of salvation for you. So let's sing. steadfast love by your great mercy all my sin removed deeply ashamed for spurning you alone I stand condemned before your holy throne oh you want truth within I am unclean conceived within born sin purge me with blood and wash me white as snow hide my transgressions heal my broken soul create in me spotless heart I pray take not your spirit cast me not away restore to me salvation's joy anew then I will teach the lost to turn to you save me your righteous name though you reject a thoughtless sacrifice my broken contrite heart you'll not despise Lord in your goodness build up Zion's walls let not my sin Tear down your glorious cause. May you delight in every sacrifice offered by sinners you have purified. God can be just and sinners justified. For Jesus bled God's wrath to satisfy my sins, the spikes that nailed Christ to the tree. God's love and justice there for all to see. Amen. You may be seated.
the entire Bible is about the Lord Jesus. From Genesis through Revelation, you are going to find Christ either mentioned directly, by name, or by an image, or in some way a foreshadowing of him on nearly every page. He is the focus. He is the center of the holy book, of the scriptures. In the very last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, we have, I believe, a focus not on primarily prophecy. When you think of Revelation, you're thinking book of prophecy. It's true. That's what it's about, a lot of what it's about. But I I think the point of Revelation is deeper than just telling us what's coming. It's important that we know what's coming, but it's more than that. In fact, I think the focus is as much on Jesus in the book of Revelation as it is in the Gospels. Think about that for a moment. So, if you were writing the last book of the Bible, if you were in John's sandals, what picture, what name, what image would you choose to communicate the person of Jesus? 29 times in the book of Revelation, Jesus is referred to with the same image, with the same name. He's called Lion in the book of Revelation one time. <laughs> He's, there are many pronouns that refer to him, okay, but the dominant picture of Jesus in the last book of the Bible is lamb. Now you already know that because of your handouts, but I want us to ponder for a moment before we, you know, jump right into the scriptures and which we will do and worship our savior through the different verses that talk about him. I want us to ponder the the very image that John chose through inspiration to capture his subject. Why the word, title, picture, image, lamb? Why? That's the primary title of Christ, and I think the primary picture is because the lamb from the book of Genesis all the way through the book of Jude, lamb is the picture of salvation. It is the picture of a substitute. It is the picture of an animal who is without blemish. And I'll apologize right now for one little thing. Um, when on the top of your handout, the lamb that's in that image <laughs> has, you know, black face and like black on the bottom. That's not right, okay? It should have been a lamb that is pure white without a single spot. So why did I choose that image? 
because it was the only one that had the lion in the water reflecting. So if you can, you know, get you know, change the image a little bit in your mind, but, but that is exactly that idea of primarily lamb, but lion too is what the book of Revelation is about when it comes to Christ. So the lamb needed to be without blemish. The lamb was killed. Look at the book of Leviticus. Oh, the lamb was killed as a substitute for the sinner. The Hebrews sinned day by day, month by month, year by year, and they sacrificed a lamb, the other animals too, but a lamb as payment for their sin. God, holy God, uh, could not tolerate sin. And so something had to die. Something had to pay the price. They, he chose a lamb as the primary uh, means of payment. So the lamb was killed as a substitute. The lamb was killed as a blood sacrifice to appease wrath. And the lamb's blood is what washed away sin. When we went through Leviticus, I used the, the mental image of uh, blood as the greatest cleanser, spiritual cleanser that you could possibly have. I, when I'm washing my hands, I'm not thinking of going to you know, the, the little pump and, and squirting blood on my hands and washing with blood. I wouldn't do that. You wouldn't either. It's going to make a mess. Okay? But it's as if you go to the spiritual sink and you know, depress the spiritual soap dispenser and what comes out is going to clean your soul. It is the blood of Christ. It is the blood of the Lamb. So why did John pick Lamb? 29 times, by far the most dominant uh, picture of Christ, to communicate who he is. It's because that's been the picture all along. Jesus is your substitute. Jesus did what you cannot. The secondary picture of Christ in this book is that of rescue. That's the part we may not fully appreciate when you read through the book of Revelation. Rescue. Why don't we appreciate it as much perhaps as we should? It's because we live in the United States of America. It's because as of right now, for the most part, we are not persecuted. It's because we live with great freedom. We take for granted, I'll speak for myself, I take for granted what this country has done. <laughs> what the founding fathers intended. Uh, maybe we're losing that now, but for a hundred, couple hundred years, we have greatly enjoyed, as believers, the freedom of worship, the freedom to preach the Bible the way it is written, the freedom to speak our minds for the sake of Christ, the freedom to share the gospel with others. We have such freedoms and yeah, we're losing them, but we have them still. That's not the case in so much of the world. They don't have that. So the, when they read the book of Revelation, they see the theme of lion, and they see the theme of rescue better than we do. But there is coming a day, 
and I believe it will be before the rapture, when the freedoms that we enjoy dissolve, and where we as believers, maybe not in my lifetime, I don't know, but where we as believers will suffer persecution, I think will be arrested and will be martyred. Okay. Certainly it's going to happen after the rapture for believers who come to know Christ during the tribulation, but I think even before that, there is going to be deep, serious persecution. So for those who are suffering persecution, for those who are in the midst of trial, who are under attack by their own government or by uh, you know, the, the hot people who are hostile to their, them, and the government just turns a blind eye to the, to the attacks, what, whatever the situation is, for them... For the ones who are downtrodden, they see the theme of rescue better than we do. It's in the book of Revelation. A lot of the book of Revelation is dedicated to that theme, as we'll see, to the the lamb who is the conqueror. That's weird, isn't it? If I'm going to pick an animal to describe power, and rescuer, and conqueror, and one who's going to defeat the enemies of evil. I'm not picking a lamb. (laughs) Lion's a good one. One time in Revelation, you have that. Maybe an elephant. I mean, you know, if you were in the water, I'm going to think of a predator. I'm, I'm thinking of a powerful animal, not a lamb. But so often in this book, the lamb is powerful. The lamb has seven horns. The lamb is not to be trifled with. So you have the the dual, the primary purpose of the picture, salvation. The secondary purpose of the picture, rescue. Brothers and sisters, you may someday see the theme of rescue better than you do now. I hope not, but like, not that I don't want you to understand the theme of the scripture. I do, but I mean... I hope you don't need the theme of rescue quite like could happen. The lamb. The lamb from Genesis through Revelation. Jesus became the lamb. All the lambs that died in the Old Testament, they died for people. They died so that the human beings would not die. They bore the punishment that that, that sinners earned. And all those lambs, millions of them over time, over years, over millennia, all those lambs pictured the Lamb of God, pictured the Lamb of lambs, pictured our Lamb, Our Jesus, my Jesus, your Jesus, your lamb. What did Jesus give up in order to become your lamb? Well, first of all, he has always been the son of God. There has never been a time when he was not. He is not a created being. 
He has always been in relation to the Father, the Son. Throughout eon upon eon, time endless in history, or no, before history, for, for, forever before he existed. But he existed in, in spiritual form, non-corporeal, without body. He has always been. When God created the universe and made time, made an angelic realm and made stars and moon and the planet earth and water and then fashioned the things on the earth and then put human beings, Adam and then Eve, on the planet. At, at that time, using that word purposely, what did Jesus have? At that time, Jesus was gloriously, magnificently respected by even the greatest of created beings, such as Michael the angel or Gabriel, the, the most powerful of all created beings. Jesus in heaven was creator God. Jesus in heaven was worshipped. Jesus had armies, angelic hosts that were at his beck and call. Jesus had, could we just say everything, and lived in utopia. That is what he gave up. What did he take on? Jesus took on flesh. Jesus became man. He did not lose his deity. He was always God, but he became man. He limited himself because he needed to do what the lambs in the Old Testament did temporarily for those who followed God. When he took on human flesh, he gave up the prerogatives, the, the worship in heaven, and all the other things he had there. Not his deity, but the, the, the privileges of heaven. He gave those up. He took on human flesh. And then what did he endure? He endured misunderstanding. He endured shame. He endured rejection, even by those whom he chose, such as Judas. He, he had followers leave him, John chapter 6. It was not an easy life, not nearly as easy as ours is. And then, of course, the cross. He endured death for us, punishment, ridicule, shame. Rose the third day. Okay, this is the lamb. These are the things he did. The lamb does that which we cannot do. He gives us eternal life 
with God. Without the Lamb, none of us can have the utopia that we all seek. We want to live in a perfect world. I was reading, I don't know, a couple weeks ago, I don't remember what philosopher it is who said, you know, people are hell. Okay, in other words, the difficulty of dealing with people, you know, getting tired of dealing with people, Jesus creates through his death the door, the way to be free of all suffering, physical and relational. He creates a place. He has created a place. It exists now. We're not living there yet. That is what we all desire, but cannot yet have. It is through the Lamb that this is this way exists. So why does mankind need the Lamb of God? Revelation answers that question. Turn to Revelation chapter 5, and we'll begin looking at the references to Lamb in the Scriptures. I'm going to go back to Revelation 5, 5 and read a little more. One of the elders said to me, Weep. No more. John is seeing a vision. This is a vision that will take place in the future. In other words, the things he's seeing in the book of Revelation that we're going to be reading, they're all future, or most of them are future. Okay? So God is on top of a mountain, sitting on his throne. The Father has a scroll in his hand that is a title deed to the universe a scroll that needs to be opened and then the things that are contained in it need to be performed so that the one who holds the scroll can inherit the universe. No one is found worthy to open the scroll. John begins to cry and uh, the elder tells him, well, stop. (laughs) Look there. And what does John see? Weep no more, verse 5, Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. Jesus is, this is the only place in Revelation, where he's called the lion. He is powerful. And he is from the root of David, meaning he's descended by, you know, genetically from King David. He is the lion and he is king. He's king now. He will be king on the planet Earth in our future. Now, let's keep going. Verse 6, between the throne and the four living creatures. So picture a throne on top of a mountain. I believe this is real. It exists now. It is the new Jerusalem in heaven. God is there. There is a throne there. Over top of the throne, there is a green rainbow. All this is in chapter 4 or 5 of Revelation. Um, There are four living creatures. These are the honor guard, because God doesn't really need them, but they are the honor guard. They're very powerful. There were five of them. One of them fell, Satan. The other four did not fall. They are still there, and they are literally the highest, greatest of all of the created beings in the universe. 
Four of them are still righteous. Four of them surround the throne. Okay. Between the throne and the four living creatures that are surrounding the throne, and among the elders, there are 24 elders, uh, on the outside of the concentric ring of the four living creatures, there is the lamb. I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain. Now, how is this lamb described? With seven horns. Does that mean that Jesus, when we see him, is actually going to be a lamb? No. Does that mean he actually is going to have seven horns on top of his head? No. He is the lamb in terms of what he has done and is doing and will do. He, has, he is pictured as a lamb with seven horns. Lambs don't have seven horns. But the number seven is the number of completion or perfection. And, sev- and, the, and the horn speaks of power. So we have a lamb who is all-powerful. That's not the end of the description, though. He also has seven eyes. Does Jesus in heaven have seven eyes? No. Is he a lamb with seven eyes? No. Seven, again, the number of perfection or completion, eyes, the ability to see and understand. Jesus is not only all-powerful, seven horns, but he is all-knowing, he is omniscient, seven eyes. Verse 7, he went and took the scroll from the right hand of him who was seated on the throne. So Jesus takes the scroll. Verse 8, when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the lamb. The lamb, the one who gave up heaven for you and for me, the one who loved us that much. You are special, you matter. Jesus, what did Jesus do for you? Amazing. He took the scroll, the four living creatures, the 24 elders, fall down before him. Each of them has a harp, golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And then verse 9, they sang a new song. The first word is the word worthy. You're going to see this word worthy in verse 9, and you see the word worthy in verse 12. He is worthy. He is worthy of what? He is worthy of so much. Because of what he gave up for us, because of what he took on for us, and because of what he endured for us, he is worthy. So he took the scroll to open its seals, And the song continues, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign on the earth. You and I have become special, not because of something inherent in us, but because of what Jesus He was slain for us. His blood was shed for us. Jesus ransomed. That is, he purchased us and made us then his own. And we are now 
part of a kingdom. In the future, we will literally reign on the earth. And we are priests, meaning we can enter uh, the presence of God at any time. Why? In prayer now and in the future physically. Why? Because we have been cleansed. Down to verse 12. Saying with a loud voice, Worthy is the Lamb. He's worthy because he was slain. Now, before the focus was upon what he did, slain, blood, ransomed, now the focus is upon what he will receive. Why he is worthy to receive these things. He is worthy to receive power, wealth, wisdom, might, Honor, glory, and blessing, seven things. He is worthy. Does this mean that he does not already possess these things? No, he possesses all of them now. Okay, But he will be recognized by all, believers and unbelievers, someday, for these seven things. Power, wealth, wisdom, might, honor, glory, and blessing. He deserves all of these things. You and I agree with that, or at least I think most of us here agree. Jesus deserves this. He deserved it even before he earned the right to these. He's always deserved these things, but in addition to, by his nature deserving these things, he's even earned the privilege by what he did for us. The wicked of the world will not want to recognize this. They will reject this right up until Armageddon, right through the millennium. They will reject this at the great white throne judgment, and they will hate the lamb in all of eternity as they burn, as they suffer. They will still hate the lamb. They won't want to recognize what you and I are today. This is an introduction to the Lamb. We saw the purpose of the Lamb. He died to save mankind, chapter 5, 8 through 10. We saw the worship of the Lamb. He deserves our praise, chapter 5, 11 through 14. The wrath of the Lamb is in chapter 6, 16. The kings of the earth, verse 15, the great ones, the generals, the rich and the powerful, and everyone, slave and free, hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains, calling to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who can stand? Here we see the lamb in the rescuer theme. This is the sixth of seven seals that were progressively opened in that scroll that Jesus took from the Father. He is in the process of opening the seven seals. Each one a wax seal, break it open, you can read part of the message, but you have to break the second seal to read the second part. The, the fifth seal, when it was broken, was not a picture of imminent judgment. It was instead a picture of the saints who were martyred for, for the name of Christ on the earth during the tribulation period. 
their prayers were what was seen in the fifth seal. And now the answer to those prayers are what are seen in the sixth seal. And that answer, that is the sixth seal, is not going to happen in chapter 7, 8, 9, 10 of the book of Revelation. The answer to that sixth seal isn't going to happen until chapter 16. And ultimately at the end of 19 in the book of Revelation, that is, that sixth seal is actually a picture of the ultimate rescue of believers at the battle of Armageddon. We, we you know, hear the word Armageddon. Armageddon is literally two words in Hebrew, har, Megiddo, the mountain of Megiddo. This is where Jesus will return and defeat the armies of Antichrist. If you've been with us in the adult Sunday school time, I've been, we've been going through the book of Revelation. We're on chapter 13 uh, today. You know how awful this time period will be for Christians. We've talked about it. We've, we've seen how uh, that, that in the end, sexual debauchery will be uh, used to um, force uh, people to either accept or reject the dictates of the state. And if you do not agree with the debauchery, then you will be arrested and killed. We've only barely talked about that, but that's really coming in, uh, later in the book of Revelation. Here, when we, get, when we see what's coming at the end of the tribulation period, just understand we hardly feel the need for a rescuer now, but Christians in that day, they're desperately praying, Lord, why are you waiting? Why aren't you dealing with the Antichrist? Why aren't you dealing with uh, the satanic oppression that's on the planet in the end of days? Why are you hesitating? And God's response is, not everyone has yet become believers but my wrath is coming. So when we read about the wrath of the Lamb, now the picture is that secondary picture of rescue. Jesus is going to save the, Christ, the remnant of Christians at the end of time who are still on the earth from unbelievable, unrelenting persecution. Why should we worship him? Well... Look at his purpose. Look at what he deserves. The fact that he's going to rescue us. In chapter 7, verses 9 through 14, we see the salvation of the Lamb. Explained even more. Chapter 7, verse 9. And this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from every nation from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, talking about purity, a purity that we cannot create ourselves that only Jesus can give, with palm branches in their hands, peace 
that only Jesus can provide. And then verse 10, salvation, pardon, that we cannot earn no matter what we might try to do, only Jesus can give. Purity, peace, and pardon. How? By his death, by his blood, by the washing. And I don't want to move on from this text without mentioning from every nation, tribe, people, and language. There's no race, you know, in God's eyes. All races are equal. He has people in all groups. He loves all of us. Let's move on. Chapter 12 is the next time when Jesus is pictured as the lamb. And in this text, he is our advocate. Verses 10 and 11. Now I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down, who accuses them day and night before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the Lamb. It may surprise you that Satan spends time in heaven. This is what this passage says. Yes, he's on earth. Occasionally he's under the earth. That is in hell. But but some of the time, in fact, every single day, part of the day, he spends in heaven. And every night, at part of the night, he spends in heaven doing what? Accusing the saints. The demonic realm sees the sins of Christians. They relay some of those sins to Satan. I don't know what the filter is for choosing who they're going to accuse on the given morning or a given night in heaven. But the deeds, the wicked deeds that Christians perform on earth, some of those, a few of those, are actually brought before the tribunal, that is before God in heaven in a, in a every morning and every evening court case that goes on day after day, night after night. And what does Jesus do every time Satan says, look at what so-and-so your follower did on planet earth that is so disgusting, that's so wicked, that's so evil, look at their thoughts, Look at their actions, whatever those things are. And then what does Jesus do? He is our advocate, which is another word for lawyer. He is your defense attorney. And he mentions simply the word blood. And the court case is ended. If there were a gavel in heaven, you know, the father would you know, strike it on the, the dais in front of him. And court case dismissed. It's just Year, day after day, every year, just ongoing for millennia, court case dismissed, case dismissed, case dismissed, and yet Satan continues to do it. Jesus deserves our worship. He died to save mankind. He deserves our praise. He rescues us now, but really he will rescue us physically from evil in the future. His blood washes us clean. He is our defense attorney. In chapter 13, verse 8, it says, All who dwell on earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has 
not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So the wicked of the world are going to worship the Antichrist. That's in the context what's going on. But believers, we worship the Lamb. And specifically in this text, it talks about the book of life. Jesus knows your name. Your name, if you are a Christian, your name is in a book. Now, there are other books, too, that are about you, okay? Because they will be opened when we are rewarded. Christians are rewarded. The evil, the unbelievers will be judged. But when Christians uh, stand before Christ on the day of reward, the Bema Seat Judgment, books will be opened. There, are, there apparently are, maybe some of us have more than one volume, I don't know, but there are apparently records of the things we do. We're not talking now about the books that are records of what we are doing while on earth. That's a, it's, there is a, a passage in Revelation that talks about that, but that's not this one. This is a different book. This is the book of life. Your name was written before God even created the universe. It was already in a book that is described as life. In other words, everyone's name who is written in that book will be saved. Moving on to, I'm going to skip chapter 14. I already had that written down uh, just because I knew I wouldn't have time. But chapter 15, verse 3, they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord God, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, and your righteous acts have been revealed. This is a song, again, of rescue. In chapter 19... Verses 7 and 9, we see the marriage supper of the Lamb. The rapture of the church will take place before a seven-year period that is called by Jesus the tribulation. He is simply referring to the word that the prophet Daniel used in chapter 9 which is the word tribulation, a time of trouble that will come to the earth in the future when the Jewish people, because they have rejected their Messiah, will go through punishment. They'll go through punishment, but the purpose of that is to awaken them to Jesus, the one they rejected. The hope is that they will be brought to him, which will, in fact, happen. All right. Um, in that's the context. Now, before that tribulation period when it's really, really bad on the earth, before the Antichrist is revealed, the church, the bride of Christ, will be taken away. Why are we called the bride? Because 
of the loving relationship that we have with our Savior. That's why we're called the bride. And in verse chapter 19, verse 7, it says, Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Who is the bride of the Lamb? It is the church. It's all of us. And it's all of the people from the time of the apostles in the first century, Acts chapter 2, right up until our day and even into the future, until the rapture takes place. The church is the bride. But they're not the only ones who are here at this feast. So we're called the bride. In other words, we love Jesus, the Lamb. But verse 9 says that there are other people at this wedding. And the angel said to me, write this, John is writing this, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So who are the invited ones? I don't think we're talking angels. Okay, they're, they're going to be in heaven at the time. I mean, there'll be some on earth too and all that, but they're not the ones who are invited. The ones who are invited are those who were followers of God before Acts chapter 2. We're looking at the Old Testament saints. They're part of this feast as well. And then um, in <clears throat> chapter 21, we see in verses 19... I'm sorry, 9, 14, and 22, and 23, the city of the Lamb. We see in chapter 21, verse 27, a second mention of the book of the Lamb, which we already talked about in 13, 8. And then in 22, verses 1 and 3, we see the throne of the Lamb. I'm going to conclude with this. Then the angel showed me the river of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb, through the middle of the street of the city. Also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations, no longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. <clears throat> what all of us long for is a world without pain. What all of us are trying to create in our own little ways for our lives is a bit of ease, um, a bit of repose. We go about it maybe in different ways, but in our souls, we long for the world that is described in Revelation 21. Without the Lamb, without a precious Savior, we will not enjoy utopia. We could not have what this describes. This place I won't uh, right now describe in detail, but this is what life will be like for all eternity. Life with God, life 
that is perfect. How can we all have that? Only through the Lamb. We're, we're worshiping the Lamb through Scripture today. He has done what we cannot do. He has given us what we could never earn. And he will rescue us from this present world and provide for us a perfect one. So we're going to pray and then I'm going to have the elders come and uh, uh, Dan and Russ, if you will come as well, and we will... Uh, enjoy the Lord's table, and then we'll be dismissed. But let me pray here as we uh, focus our attention away from the Lamb in Revelation now to uh, Jesus in 1 Corinthians. Lord, you have done for us what we cannot do for ourselves. You loved us so much that you became a sacrifice for us. You died so that we might live. You bore punishment that we deserve so that we could be free. Because of these things and more, we worship your name. We praise you and we thank you. The words that I'm expressing in prayer just aren't enough to give you the kind of honor that you should have, but I'm doing my best. Lord, may we worship you around your table now. We pray in Jesus' name, your uh, precious son, amen. All right, if you'd come forward, men. I'm gonna turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11, and you can remain standing. <clears throat> have a privilege of joining together for a meal. In the first century, they would eat a full meal and then they would uh, do what we are doing. We're not going to eat a full meal here, but we are going to uh, celebrate the Lord's table. And when we do, we, we uh, celebrate it by recognizing the broken body of our Lord Jesus, what he did on the cross for us, and the shed blood of our, our Lord Jesus. So I'm going to ask Brad if you would pray and uh, thank um, the Lord for both of those things, and then we'll uh, enjoy the table. Father, we bow before your throne with hearts that are overflowing with gratefulness, Lord, for your wisdom Having your Son, the Lord Jesus, uh, come and be our salvation, Father, by providing his life and shedding his blood for us on the cross. Lord Jesus, certainly you are worthy of all the things that are described in the book of Revelation that we just talked about. Father, we are especially grateful that you would uh, willingly give yourself for us. Father, we know and that, that the Lord Jesus uh, surrendered his will to you. There was any other way, but there wasn't any other way. And Father, we thank you 
that the Lord Jesus was willing to go to the cross on our behalf to shed his precious blood. Father, we thank you for your body that was beaten and broken for us. We thank you for the blood that was shed for us and for the salvation that that means for all who put their faith and trust in you. Father, we would just rejoice and uh, we celebrate, Father, for all that you have done and look forward to celebrating with you for all of eternity. Father, thank you so much for your provision. In the name of your Son, we pray. Amen. This is a meal that Jesus enjoyed with the uh, disciples the night before he was betrayed and before he hung on the cross. 
In this meal, he pictured himself as the lamb. The body of the lamb is represented by the piece of unleavened bread that you have in front of you. And the blood of the lamb is pictured by the juice that is in this cup. Jesus is the lamb. And all through the scriptures, uh, the focus is upon what the lamb does for us. Now, um, one of the things that Paul, the apostle, and we'll in a moment read a couple of verses in 1 Corinthians. One of the things that the apostle Paul uh, became concerned about was the way in which the Lord's table was being celebrated in the city of Corinth among the church there. They were abusing the Lord's table, and in verse 27, he gives a warning. I want to read a couple of verses of warning for us and make a comment. This, this meal should be a time of celebration, a time of joy. This is a, a time where we magnify our Lord Jesus Christ and thank him for the amazing things that he's done for us. But in order to partake of the meal, we have to enjoy the cleansing power that the body and the blood provide. And even as Christians, we could come to the Lord's table with sin unconfessed. And that's what I want to make sure that we don't do today. Um, in 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 27, Paul wrote, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. So Paul goes on in the next verse and says, Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. Have you examined yourself yet today and thought about, am I, as a believer, coming to the Lord's table with no sin um, unresolved, no sin unconfessed? If so, please partake. Now, if you know that you aren't a Christian, you're not a follower of Jesus, up until this day you've rejected him, then I would encourage you do not take the uh, uh, elements and don't eat or drink. Even if you have them in front of you, just let them sit there. Don't, don't partake. Parents, if you have little, little ones who are not believers yet, don't allow them to partake. But I'm mostly addressing Christians here. Paul mostly is addressing Christians here uh, in this text. Are you worthy? Well, you're not worthy in and of yourself. No, none of us is. But are you worthy because you have confessed all sin to Christ? Do you need a moment uh, to just talk to the Lord? Is there something that is between you and, and him something that, that you just need to turn over to him today? Let's just bow for a moment and give us uh, a second to pray.
hopefully now, you know, if you had something bothering you, that is, you've given that to the Lord and asked him for forgiveness. Now I want to take us back to verse 23. Paul says this, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. So we're going to eat this little piece of unleavened bread to remember what the Lord Jesus did for us. He loves you. He died for you. Let's remember him as we eat. His body was broken. He went through what we could describe as terrible punishment, definitely uh, horrific treatment. And as his body was bruised, no bones broken, but, you know, flesh torn, he also bled. And so the lamb had to bleed. The lambs in the Old Testament bled uh, because the blood is, the, is that which cleanses us from sin, is the only, uh, only chemical known to man that has the power to wash away sin. And so Paul... Uh, referring to the Lord Jesus' words, continues in verse 25 and says this, In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Let's remember what Jesus did for us as we drink. Brothers and sisters, we are so blessed. We are so privileged. We have so much. I'll pray and then we'll be dismissed. Our Father, you have given us your son. He is our lamb. We love you because you first loved us. He is our mediator and he is the only mediator between you and and us, and it is through his sacrifice that we have forgiveness. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for all you've done. We pray in your name, because it is the only name that provides access to forgiveness for us. Amen. Thank you for coming today. You're dismissed. <laughs>